0: Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats, and what a week it's been. Um, It's been a wild and wacky week, and I have a lot to tell you about before I get into today's interview with the great Gene Epstein. Uh, First of all, of course, since last Monday, Justin Amash uh, actually ended up dropping out of the presidential race after exploring it. Uh, That has mixed things up a bit, but on our end, we are doing one more final presidential debate that will air live Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. It will feature Adam Kokesh, Judge Jim Gray, Joe Jorgensen, Jacob Hornberger, and Vermin Supreme. This is one of the last stops on the road to the online convention, so you gotta check that out. Another thing I gotta tell you about, this is very important, because it involves me, yes, your host, your shining beacon of liberty. I gave a talk at uh, Mikkel Thorup of Escape Artists. He's putting on this amazing offshore escape summit from June 1st to 5th. It's all online. A ton of amazing speakers. Guys like John Perkins, who's been on the show before, Uh, Bobby Casey, a lot of big names in the expat world, in the financial world, plus your shining beacon of liberty, your favorite podcast host, Mark Claire. What more could you ask for? All of these names are coming together to help show anyone how you can escape oppressive government control, eliminate your tax bill, build generational wealth, travel the world, and regain true freedom by considering moving offshore, becoming an expat, which I am a sort of half one at the moment, at least temporarily, here in Mexico. But I even had the honor of giving my own presentation at this summit. So you got to check out Offshore Escape 2020, at least just to see me. You can register completely for free. You can see any of these presentations for free just by going over to lionsofliberty.com/escape. You want to use that link to get there to get your free ticket. Check out me and a bunch of other great speakers. kitty cats. My guest today is a very special guest. He is a a former editor at Barron's Magazine. He runs the amazing Soho Forum debate series in a place where he is currently uh, on some form of lockdown uh, in the heart of Corona, Corona mania there in New York City. I'm very pleased to welcome back Gene Epstein. Gene, are you ready to roar? Uh,
1: Well, Mark, first of all, it's uh, great uh, to be back uh, with uh, the fastest talking (laughs) podcast host that I know. Uh, The guy who gets in maybe three to four words per second, when the rest of us are lucky if we can get in like two words per second. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so it's a pleasure to be with you. But uh, again, as before, I have to pass on giving you a roar. Uh, I roared too much. I have to learn to purr. Um, As you've pointed out, I roared a little bit too much when I debated Baskar Sankara, the Socialist. And most recently, I think I roared a little bit too much when I debated Steve Moore, the economist who works for President Trump. Uh, And uh, so I'd like to learn how to purr, and uh, I'll be purring throughout this interview hopefully.
0: All right. Well, the only problem, Gene, is, you know, a purr, it's, it's kind of a slippery so- slope. If you start purring before you know it, you get a little fired up and suddenly you're roaring again. So I don't know, maybe you shouldn't resist it too much because I, th- I think people do enjoy the roars of Gene Epstein. I know they—I know a lot of people enjoyed your, uh, your performance against Baskar Sankara, like, like you mentioned there, well, but uh,
1: I'll leave it to yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No. Indeed. Indeed. No, you're absolutely right. It's I'm ambivalent about that. But I just figured that if I, if I try to purr, then uh, obviously, I'll only partially secede and the roar will come out. So I, I won't disappoint anybody, hopefully.
0: All right. Well, I don't know. I've never heard of anyone disappointed by Gene Epstein yet. But, you know, I've never spoken to your wife, so I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, you, you did mention a couple of Soho Forum debates there. And uh, as you know, um, you know, in-person debates are currently not a possible thing in New York City. Uh, I know you've moved some of those debates online, and uh, but I think one debate people really want to know about is the one that was supposed to take place this month, uh, featuring Scott Horton debating Bill Kristol, a neocon extraordinaire, about foreign policy. What's the status of that debate? Uh, is there talk of moving it online? Is there talk of doing it just in the future? Uh, what's going
1: on there? Well, uh, I'm very reluctant to move it online. Uh, I do miss the physical debates, Uh, The Seoul Forum has always had two missions, not just one. One of those missions, of course, is to uh, to present interesting debates to libertarians. Uh, That's one of the missions. But the other mission uh, was to have a party, uh, uh, to have a bar uh, serving beer and wine and soft drinks, and with my wife catering. Uh, And uh, that's uh, the conviviality mission people meeting each other, interacting. Uh, there are those of us who, when we approach a bar and we see people talking convivially, we get an anxiety attack. Will we fit in? What are we gonna say? But at the Seoul Forum, you can talk about the debate. You can actually meet the debaters afterwards. And I very much miss that. I miss uh, the electricity of the physical audience. But we have had, I'll get to your question about uh, Scott Horton and Bill Crystal in a moment. We have had two interesting online debates. Uh, One of them was between two economists on the uh, On the merit, on the advisability of the lockdown, uh, and uh, that's online. Uh, that that is uh, has been preserved on video and podcast, and you can access it by going into uh, the Sewell Forum debates podcast, or you can go into our Sewell Forum website and access the video. And then, uh, most recently, we had a debate on immigration. Uh, all our debates now get a hook are hooked to uh, the, the uh, COVID-19 crisis. And so in that case, we debated immigration uh, with Mark kokorian defending the resolution that the COVID-19 crisis made it all the more necessary uh, to keep immigrants out. Taking the negative was Brian Kaplan, who has somewhat famously written an illustrated book on, on the uh, advocating open, borders. So I recommend both of those debates. I enjoyed running them, but I certainly missed the physical audience. Getting to your question about um, Scott Horton and Bill Kristol, I am now committed to having that debate in a physical space, and not to reveal too much, but the possibility is that uh, I won't have it in Manhattan. Uh, Or in New York City, because it looks as though that city is going to be under tighter lockdown than other cities. So that might happen and might occur in another city. And at least the saving grace there is that a lot of people who bought tickets were coming in from out of town. And uh, so I hope I don't inconvenience all of them uh, hopefully some of them who are coming in from out of town will be we'd will be willing to go to another city where a physical event is more possible so i am looking into that and as and as i've stressed i am committed to having that electric exchange, uh, that uh, incredible exchange between uh, William Crystal, who, by the way, has been a real gentleman and has been very gracious about appearing with Scott Horton. I commend him on that. Uh, He's suffered a fair amount of character assassination from some of my libertarian friends, but uh, I want to tell them all, quit character quit assassinating the man's character if you want to boo and hiss when he presents his ideas you could do that a little bit attack the ideas don't attack the person but again to get back to your question i'm I'm committed to making that debate happen it might not happen in new york city but it will happen in some city in the u.s
0: well good and whatever uh physical place. It, it happens to take place. I'm sure we're all going to be looking forward to it, and especially a debate like that uh, where so many people are so passionate about foreign policy uh, as maybe Bill Kristol has found out on, on Twitter how passionate many libertarians are about foreign policy. Um, I, I think it, in, in person is really the yes. only way to go for something like that. And uh, as you said, though, I mean, look, yes. there libertarians across the across the spectrum probably all disagree with Bill Kristol's foreign policy, but you know he deserves praise. Mm-hmm. He deserves praise for agreeing to this debate and continuing to agreed to commit to the debate regardless, because at the end of the day, that's where we need to engage in ideas with people. We can't just boo and hiss online. We can't just yell and scream about it, If, especially when you have someone like Bill Kristol that has such a large platform and such influence in Washington. I mean, the fact that he's willing to do this and has remained committed to doing that, he, he does deserve praise for it. So uh, I think libertarians should uh, nev- not back off on his policies, but, but maybe back off on, you know, calling him, calling him names or whatever's going on online. Absolutely. Yes. Hey there, Liberty Kitties. Time to take a quick time out to tell you about one of our longtime supporters. His name is Tyler Colford, and he goes by the pseudonym Crypto Man. That's his rapping name. That's right. He is a rapper as well. He does some awesome stuff and he recently produced a track called Free Ross. And the Ross in question is of course Ross Ulbricht, the creator of the Silk Road Marketplace who was sentenced to two life sentences for creating that marketplace. Yes, it was a black market indeed of all sorts of things, including drugs, consensual transactions which libertarians are completely in favor of. There were no victims and there were no crimes as far as work concerned, so please do check out the track Free Ross. It was just released on Friday, March 27th, the 35th birthday of Ross Ulbricht. And 100% of the proceeds will go to the Free Ross Foundation. Which is uh, helping to free Ross and bring more awareness to his situation. Do check out the links. I will put them all over at lionsofliberty.com/slash-free-ross for ease of use. You can also pre-order it on Google Play. Again, one hundred percent of the proceeds of this track will be going to help free Ross. And
1: speaking of, uh, you
0: know. The, you mentioned the lockdowns in New York City are probably going to be continuing a lot more in some other places that are going to make it difficult to hold those physical debates there. But I just want to get a sense of what that's been like for you as someone who's lived in New York City all this time. um, I grew up in Connecticut, not not far from New York City, about an hour away, had a lot of family there. And and to me, I mean, what New York City, the amazing thing about New York City was just always the hustle and bustle, all the different cultures, all the different people you meet, uh, just being crammed together with all these people. It always felt like that was part of eh, sometimes the annoyance, but also the charm of the city. So what does the city feel like right now uh essentially on on lockdown
1: well uh, i think that uh you know the more i talk about that uh, mark uh the, probably i'm gonna purr less and maybe <laughs> cry more because uh, right. clearly uh, it's been a personal tragedy for me i've, I've basically been a, a resident of new york city since uh, 1967 and i guess that means that uh, I've been a resident here for 53 years. With one interruption, I took my family to the country for about a year at one point, working on a book. But otherwise, uh, I am a New Yorker. And uh, just as you imply, uh, being a New Yorker, that means that I do the opposite of social distancing. You know, I get on crowded subways. I go to Broadway uh, theaters that are sold out. And on top of that, of course, I run the Soul forum. Uh, That's a basement theater with a bar. And there too, we do the opposite of social distancing. We hobnob, we meet, we embrace, we shake hands. We do all of those things that human beings like to do, except we we sort of take it to a, a new level, a special level of intensity. Uh, We have restaurants, we have theaters, we have concerts, all of those things that I partake of. And uh, I, of course, like a New Yorker, I love crowds. And uh, of course, I don't like noise. I'm a little bit of an old fart that way. I walk into certain bars and the music is blaring and the young people are talking, and that gets me a little bit much. However, I do love uh, the crowds at the Broadway shows and at the concerts, and of course, especially the crowds at the sold out events at the Soul Forum. And so that defines New York. And uh, now, of course, I mean, I, I'm not—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm, I'm not somebody who goes to sporting events, but uh, of course, uh, I, I could speak to those people as well. Clearly, sporting events are all about people sitting relatively close and yelling and screaming, uh, and uh, and and occasionally spitting. So uh, clearly, uh, those cultural events have got to go on. Uh, we've got to conquer this somehow, because that's a way of life that many of us love and want to hold on to. Um, And so it's been a tragedy for me uh, to see it all shut down. As a practical matter, my wife actually had gotten a little bit freaked out by the city. She's an artist. She's uh, She's been staying with my uh, my uh, stepson and, and stepdaughter-in-law in uh, the free state of New Hampshire, although she's due to come back this weekend. Uh, I myself don't usually venture out. I do go over to uh, the local Whole Foods, and uh, there, John Mackey, uh, who's actually a backer of the Mysore Forum, John Mackey, who is a libertarian and who is uh, the the, uh, chief executive officer of Whole Foods, has a special rule that between seven and eight, it's only open to people over the age of 60. There are actually cops outside. Uh, maybe more cops than are necessary who check your driver's license to make sure you were over sixty. Since I'm seventy-five, uh, the uh, the math isn't very too too difficult for them uh, to admit me uh, between the hour of seven and eight to buy food. So it's uh, sparsely attended, and uh, and you get out uh, pretty quickly because, again, it's limited to people over sixty. So that's been a real uh, advantage for me and otherwise I get my alcohol delivered and uh, on top of that I do go over to the Walgreens every once in a while to pick up a couple of medications. But uh, beyond that I don't do too much but I do have the advantage of a very large loft apartment uh, that my wife has owned for many years and so I have a big screen where I watch TV. Uh, It's not a a movie unless it's larger than life. So I get to watch films in the evening uh, on my larger than life screen. So I don't have too much right to complain, except, of course, I'm complaining like any New Yorker. Our way of life has been beaten down, and uh, and, and it's got to come back uh, for the sake of our souls.
0: Are you sensing any... I don't know grumblings of resistance to this uh, lockdown in New York City, or is there are people generally more uh, captured by the you know at least in New York City it seems fear maybe legitimate fear of the coronavirus just because that city has been hit so much harder than than, um, pretty much anywhere else at least in the U.S. Um, Or do you feel that do you get the sense (laughs) that people generally think well this is what we have to do Um, hopefully it'll it'll end soon and um, problem being there's really no nobody out there a politician doctor otherwise that has given any indication about any of this ending one way or another.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I don't uh, find that uh, that any of the people I interact with—I don't interact with many locals—that uh, uh, they are especially rebellious. Uh, I've been uh, supporting Angela McCardle, for example, uh, who's uh, from uh, LA. Uh, Your yeah, uh, previous, uh, yeah, you know Angela. And uh, yeah, she that's uh, right. She was on one of your shows with with, the, with one of your alternate hosts. Yeah, she was uh, on with Brian, who,
0: who I'm sure will love being called an alternate host. But I'm going to start calling him that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Look, Brian is a great guy, but look, no nobody is the, the fast talking uh, lion of liberty is obviously <laughs> Mark Clare. What can you do? You know, and uh, it's you just own that title, Mark. And, there you uh, go. I so, like it. Uh, Nothing Brian can do, even though he's a really good, good guy and he does a good job. So, he tries. Brian, he he I, gets uh, angrier than me, but he doesn't talk as fast. Okay, right. Brian, I, I certainly didn't mean to diminish you in any way if you're listening to this. Uh, so uh, But but getting back to uh, the fact that there are rebels in L.A. and no uh, talk of repelling against it in New York City, that's been unfortunate. You do, of course, talk about how we hit harder, but uh, really the numbers are not that terrible. It is. It did hit, you know, it's, it, it's hit older people, of course, typically. And because I'm a 75-year-old, except I don't so, sort of count myself among the older types. I've actually never in my life spent a night in a hospital. Now, wow. I've been in emergency rooms for different things. And then for the last, like, 25 years, I haven't had a sick day. Although 12 years ago, I, I, with the exception, I should say, of about a, a four-day bout of pneumonia, which might even help. And so I feel pretty sturdy, and uh, and not too fearful. And of course, on top of that, uh, there is a real difference between it's, uh, the way it struck the different boroughs. Manhattan has by far the lowest incidence, by any measure, of cases reported or of deaths. Uh, the the, uh, the the bulk of the cases are in the Bronx and Queens, and then even in proportion to population, in Staten Island, and uh, and then even Brooklyn as a higher number of cases. But there too, it's it's uh, it's clearly daunting to say that New York City is the epicenter. But by and large, uh, most people are not dying from it. Most people are not suffering from it. And so I think that even uh, in New York City, uh, we have a right to have some of our rights back. Uh, but certainly in the rest of the country, we clearly do. And uh, I wrote in uh, Angela McCardle that if I lived in, in, in LA, I'd certainly join her demonstration. But uh, I guess I got the impression that uh, that uh, since uh, New York City is so filled with uh, progressives and liberals who, who tend to take the default position that if the government believes it, it must be right, the burden of proof is on us to prove it wrong. Whereas of course we libertarians take the position that the default position, of course, is to default in favor of human freedom. And uh, my own belief is that if you place the burden of proof on those who would say that the lockdowns make sense, then I believe that they really can't bear that burden of proof uh, if your default position, again, is freedom, because there is so much about the situation that is really unknown. There's so many doubts and wild cards Uh, in this situation, that it's really, I think, impossible for them to prove that this great suppression, which is clearly killing and maiming the the souls of so many people, is justified. Uh, In fact, I'm working right now on having another debate on uh, the the COVID-19 suppression, Uh, and this one is going to be between two uh, credentialed Epidemiologists, which I think is rare. It appears, from my experience of, of canvassing them, it's, I've had difficulty getting them to come out of the closet and, and air their disagreements. But it looks as though I have two very well credentialed epidemiologists who are going to be willing to do so. And I hope to be announcing that debate in a day or two. But of course, the epidemiologists don't have a lock on the truth, because clearly they only have their knowledge, their highly imperfect knowledge, of their own discipline. Uh, the, ultimately, of course, it's all about, again, putting the burden on of proof on, proof on those who would justify the Great Suppression and recognizing all of the costs to human life and, and human and morbidity coming from uh, what the Great Suppression has caused.
0: Well, Gene, this is why you're a great guest, because uh, you, you uh, introduced my segues for me, because that's exactly what I want to okay. get into for the rest of the show. Uh, about, about a month or so ago, you wrote an article over at uh, AIER, uh, good friends of ours over there, uh, titled Anatomy of the Great Suppression, which you've mentioned a couple of times here. So let's dig into exactly what the meaning of that term is and uh, why. I don't know if you came up with it. I think, I think you're the person I heard say it first. Um, but what exactly is the great suppression as you've dubbed it here?
1: Well, I did come up with it, <laughs> and uh, it was my my the phrase I put into the language. Although it's only partially caught on, uh, very partially caught on, and of course it's it's really just a sort of play on language. Because uh, is we we have to ask: is this a downturn, a recession, or is it a depression? And uh, so I said, well, let's let's use the word shun. But uh, and that that's when my when my uh, verbal rumination began, and I realized, well, let's call it something else, let's call it the Great Suppression, because it wasn't brought about, uh, as I explained in the article, by uh, what are the, the theories that I subscribe to, conventional business cycle, Austrian business cycle theory. It wasn't brought about by malinvestment. And as I point out in the article, Murray Rothbard, who was one of the uh, big uh, uh, defenders of Austrian Business cycle theory stipulated that there can be downturns that are due to plague or downturns that do to government meddling of some kind or another. And in this case, of course, it's more than just meddling. It's government decree that the, that, that capitalist acts between consenting adults cannot happen. And so that's a suppression of, of, uh, of economic activity. It isn't conventional business cycle uh, development. It's not a conventional business cycle downturn. And so I wanted to make that point clear, and part, of course, to my Austrian friends, uh, because while they might claim that the U.S. economy was headed for a fall due to conventional business cycle theory that there was a buildup of bubbles and malinvestment, uh, that's a claim they can make, but at least they have to acknowledge that it came suddenly in March because of the suppression by government. So that's why I call it the Great Suppression. But beyond that, I've argued that when you look at least when you round up the usual suspects about uh, bubbles and malinvestment, you find that despite what's been said about the stock market, uh, conventional price earnings ratios were well below the bubble levels of the year 2000, 98, 99, and 2000, when there was indeed a bubble in the stock market. And then when you look at housing, uh, there are different ways of measuring a housing bubble, but by the two ways that I threw out that are conventional and sound, there really has not been a housing bubble. There is a bond bubble, a bond bubble in the sense that interest rates are way too low and unsustainable uh, in the long run. And there is about, you know, uh, what, you know, 17, uh, 18 trillion dollars worth of treasury debt alone. And that's a bubble that could burst if interest rates suddenly soar, suddenly hike uh, from b- well below 2 percent to like four and a half, five 5 percent. But I don't that's likely to happen. So the only point I've been pursuing for the moment is to say that uh, the the awfulness of the Great Suppression at least has an odd silver lining in that once the Great Suppression is lifted, we should see the beginnings of a recovery. Now, by that, by, by now, that's probably not a very unconventional View on my part, I certainly said, uh, and and of course still strongly believe all the more, that it's not going to be what's called a V-shaped recovery. The V-shaped recovery is, of course, uh, following uh, the pattern of a V, it suddenly plunges, and then with the same uh, uh, force, it rises so that it shapes a V. But I think it's going to be uh, a, uh, a very slow recovery. Uh, and of course, lots of people have echoed that viewpoint as well. Uh, the, uh, the the plunge in this in the current quarter is going to be followed by some uh, some pickup in the in the uh, in the third uh, in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter. And but it probably won't be until the first or second quarter of next year that we can even hope to be back to the economic level of fourth quarter. 2000, uh, fourth quarter 2019. Uh, so it's, again, going to be uh, a, a sudden plunge and a very slow recovery, and the unemployment rate is likely to remain in double-digit levels. Uh, because on top of that, it's being impeded by disincentives from government, uh, no, most notoriously, uh, the $600 extra per week that people on unemployment insurance are receiving has meant that the the majority of people are receiving an unemployment insurance check of in excess of $900 a week, which is more than many of their former employers could pay them. So they're likely not to want to go back to work until that $600 runs out. And that's not going to be until uh, early August. And let's hope Let's hope, at least, that in this election year, uh, the government isn't pressured to renew that $600. I don't begrudge people their money, but I do think it's unfortunate that they're going to have disincentives to go back to work. I don't blame them, but I do think that the government could have pursued another policy. If they wanted the $600 subsidy, they could have also applied it to people who go back to work. There could have been many other flexible plans to pursue that. But again, to recap, uh, it is a great suppression. Uh, it's happened suddenly. It's it's happened because of the government clampdown. Uh, and, uh, but at least there's some hopeful signs that at least outside New York, parts of the economy are, go- are beginning to reopen. And uh, so I think that will climb out of it. And again, of course, on a pres- prescriptive sense, uh, I believe that Setting aside New York City, which is more debatable, but even there, I would argue that the Great Suppression was never a prudent plan. Uh, Once you consider all of the ambiguities, especially the point about herd immunity, the point that herd immunity is really ultimately the only way to lick this problem, herd immunity refers to the idea that a majority of people are infected in this case the majority are mildly infected. And a mildly infected uh, population means that they develop immunity and then they can't infect each other. And meanwhile, we protect those the resources that government was going to use could have been allocated just and targeted to protecting the elderly uh, and protecting uh, the obese, people who are otherwise frail and susceptible to dying from the from COVID-19. Uh, the, weird and crazy policies were pursued by Governor Cuomo of New York State. He actually required that nursing homes accept old people who have the virus. And that, of course, is the reason why I gather that more than half uh, the, uh, the deaths have occurred in, uh, in nursing homes among old people. Of course, I speak of people being old, even though I'm 75. (laughs) And for some weird reason, I don't put myself in that category. uh, Since, as mentioned, I seem to have uh, more energy than most 75-year-olds. And as mentioned, I've never even spent
0: a night in a hospital. So Gene, one thing I hear a lot in the media when they're reporting the economic problems, they're reporting unemployment numbers, and that sort of thing, you often will just see the headline that says um, due to COVID-19, due to coronavirus, um, when in the reality, as as you've described here, most of the economic destruction is coming from the response, the government response, the lockdowns, and that sort of thing. I am curious, though, because a lot of people will argue, like, look, we'd still have this virus even if if there weren't lockdowns, there still would be companies responding. Uh, there would still be people out of work due to the virus itself. So I'm curious, what do you think this contraction or these economic problems would look like if the government wasn't responding, but there was just a virus, just a virus that the free market was dealing with? Uh, you know, the NBA shut itself down before the government did anything. Uh, Major League Baseball shut itself down before the government did anything. So clearly there, there would still be uh, economic problems related to this, uh, even if the government was hands off. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious what you think that would look like if government wasn't responding with such a heavy hand and using the only thing has at its disposal, which is, of course, the use of force.
1: Well, you know, that, no, that, that, of course, is a key question and a very fair one. Uh, and uh, certainly, we can look to places like uh, Japan and Sweden uh, where unemployment is lower because they, had, uh, they didn't really didn't have, a as you know, uh, they didn't have a very uh, severe lockdown, although, of course, they've had a great deal, as you indicate, a great deal of voluntary uh, withdrawal uh, from, uh, from, uh, the, uh, from the marketplace. Uh, so that certainly would have happened, but, uh, and, and it's difficult for me to put a number on it. Uh, I, I will say, however, that I do think that the unemployment rate would have been much lower, uh, then uh, officially. Uh, why? Because clearly a lot of, I mean, just for starters, to use the most notorious case, the drive-ins probably would have found workarounds, uh, the drive-in movie theaters. Now, of course, they, they don't employ a whole lot of people, but they're a good example of how uh, the government's heavy hand didn't even spare the 300 drive-in movie theaters we have in this country. And uh, interestingly, when, when it was written about, people were objecting, well, you know, people who go to drive-in movie theaters do have to use the bathroom, and then there's the food concession stand. But clearly, uh, people who talk that way don't allow for the possibility that, that businesses can find workarounds, that, uh, that if you just leave it to the marketplace, Businesses that do want to continue to operate might have found ways of doing so, and clearly, restaurants would have spaced people far apart, further apart. Uh, there, uh, uh, and again, obviously, the drive-in movie theaters would have functioned. Maybe the, the multiplexes would have had social distancing, would have had, would have made sure that they ordered masks. Uh, there would have been all kinds of attempts uh, to deal with the problem, and uh, and, and uh, therefore, we would have had a much happier outcome. Now, I, I, just I want to mention one interesting thing about the soaring unemployment rate. Uh, interestingly, virtually all cases, it was like 90% of the increase in unemployment was due to a very unique bit of reporting. The breakdown of the unemployment rate includes the reason why you just got unemployed. And uh, usually the reason is that there was a that you know you lost your job because the, the, the business went bankrupt because you got fired or because you, know, you were permanently laid off. But then there's a, another reason that uh, that's occasionally given, which is that it's a temporary layoff that you were told you lost your job because of a temporary layoff. Well, in this case, uniquely, more than 90 percent of the people who lost their jobs gave the reason that they were told it was a temporary lay- layoff. Now, of course, that's part and parcel of the whole uh, idea of the Great Suppression, that once you lift the lockdown, then those jobs can come back. But of course, the question is, how temporary is it going to be? And. and when will those jobs uh, come back? But again, to go back to your question, clearly we do find that people were going to work in Japan, people were have been going to work in Sweden, uh, and uh, certainly uh, now that the warm weather is coming, uh, and uh, and in New York City in particular, a lot of streets are being roped off, restaurants could be given wide latitude uh, to, uh, to serve people outside, to have... To, to take over the sidewalks. But again, I don't know if that's even being discussed uh, in New York City. Uh, so again, um, I I believe that uh, that while there would have been a slowdown, of course, a severe slowdown in economic activity that would have been voluntary, uh, there certainly wouldn't would not have been anything quite like Uh, what we did get from the lockdown, uh, because again, uh, we we can't minimize human ingenuity in finding workarounds for different problems of this kind.
0: Looking ahead at the recovery, as you've mentioned, you said, you you know, you do believe that there will be a recovery once these restrictions are lifted. Um, I'm curious how you picture that really playing out. You mentioned it's not going to be a V. It's not just going to shoot right back because oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's so many small businesses that I, I'm already seeing uh, at yeah. the local level and just stories I've heard that are just permanently shuttering their doors. They, they've already lost too much business. They already had maybe really small margins and they just have to close now because there's nothing left. Um, so I'm curious how you see the long-term consequences of, of maybe so many small businesses going under, uh, maybe people going into debt or not being able to pay their bills, uh, even 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 when they get their jobs back, still having to deal with some of those problems. Uh, But I'm also curious how you see the the tie in of all of this new debt or new money. I'm not even sure entirely sure exactly how they're financing all of these stimulus and relief bills. But there's already been, uh, I think, a couple of them. And there's a couple more on the table that include, you know, more cash payments to American citizens uh, and more debt, more money, money printing. How do you see all of that affecting the recovery as well?
1: Well, taking your uh, indeed, uh, you you just answered your own question. How are they financing it? Well, that's how good I am. <laughs> We're saying, Mark, I'm sorry. You
0: know. That's how good I am answering my own questions.
1: Well, through, through money printing, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they are, you know, they they of course it's a metaphor. They 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 don't actually print it unless, of course, it's, it you want it in 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 actual. Uh, Bills in actual paper money, uh, but uh, they they uh, they uh, created electronically, and uh, there's trillions of dollars of new money that's being created, and uh, that um, and that's of course trillions of dollars of debt that's being put on the books, mainly of the U.S. Treasury, and that uh, there uh, uh, again, uh, I uh, I'm, I I think that it's, it will be possible for the government to kick. The proverbial can down the road. Uh, I don't see a real disaster occurring from that huge pileup of debt in the next few years. Uh, I do see that it hastens the day when uh, there will be a, a, a bill of reckoning for it. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office has predicted that the US economy could face a fiscal crisis in about 15 years from the pileup of debt, and uh, so that, that uh, day of reckoning probably is going to occur, uh, will, will of course definitely occur several years sooner than originally forecast because of the several trillion that they're piling up. I, I, but I, I believe that it's likely that the low interest rates or the zero interest rates almost in certain cases are going to be maintained. Uh, because, uh, again, when you, when you look at U.S. Treasury debt, you have to ask, well, compare it with what as an investment? Uh, compare it with the rest of the world? Well, for the rest of the world, U.S. Treasury debt still looks like a safe haven. And so uh, I believe that uh, the U.S. Uh, government is, is going to continue to lead the same charmed life that it's been leading for the last 10 years in piling up debt, But uh, I don't see how that's going to last forever. As mentioned, I I do believe that, again, I I like to cite the neutral, the the, uh, relatively neutral bipartisan Congressional Budget Office, a bunch of wonks who have been warning for years that this pileup of debt running faster than the increase in gross domestic product Is unsustainable, and again, this this recent pileup of several trillion more on top of that through the printing of money uh, only hastens that day. But as mentioned, I don't see it occurring over the next few years. I'm looking more at at uh, at at, at the next decade or so in terms of that day of reckoning. But in terms of uh, the The money supply expanding, there too, I don't believe. Again, I'm sounding like a Pollyanna, I don't believe that it's going to cause double digit price inflation, uh, the the circumstances are not quite right for that. Uh, We we did have a report that uh, prices, of course, plummeted uh, in April already, uh, but having to do with the measurement of the consumer price index, uh, which showed a plummeting in prices, partly much of it, of course, because of energy. But uh, food prices rose, but uh, substantially, but virtually all other prices fell. And uh, I don't believe that a price inflation uh, can, can start when you already have a lot of slack in the economy. So I, I don't see that happening either. But getting to the awful uh, destruction of small businesses, uh, your other, the other part of your question, uh, many of them, of course... Are not going to come back, and uh, but then, uh, but then, larger businesses will ex- will expand. Obviously, uh, as you perhaps know, Amazon, uh, which uh, whose stock has been rising, which has sort of like become this sort of nanny to, to the country, uh, basically bent on providing us with food and virtually anything we, we want delivered, uh, not only expanded by a hundred thousand expanded its staff by 100,000, but is now bent on employing another 75,000. Uh, b- people, because there's so much delivery now, people are getting jobs. People who, who drove Uber are getting jobs delivering stuff to people. So there, there is, the, the, the U.S. economy and the labor markets are very flexible, if allowed to operate, and so there will be a, a fairly, in many cases, a very rapid resorting. Uh, Now, again, going back to your question, I mourn the death of uh, many of those stalwart small businesses that were struggling to get off the ground and might have gotten off the ground had the government not locked them down. Maybe uh, certain restaurants could have survived. had they uh, had, they might have lured um, young people to them. I mean, again, actually getting back to your question, uh, I believe that young people might have gone to some, to many of these bars and restaurants and not feared uh, the, COVID, the the COVID-19, uh, as indeed most of them should not be fearing it. There are lots of other things that young people can die of. Probably, probably young people uh, the, the, will die uh, over the next year or so uh, far more uh, from accidents and other things that young people normally die of than from COVID nineteen. And so those young people could have gone to those restaurants and bars without fear. Older people like myself might have stayed away. Uh, so all of those things could have been sorted out but didn't and and some and many of those small businesses are going under and, and but but again there's remarkable resilience on the part of entrepreneurs and small business people in this, in in the U.S. at least, and among Americans, uh, some of those people are probably going to start new businesses. Uh, again, I don't mean to mitigate the tragedy or apologize uh, to, and, and and minimize it by saying it's not tragic. But I believe that uh, that in a year or two, uh, small business formation will resume, and, even, and some of those people who got badly scarred by the loss of their businesses will be coming back.
0: I'm curious if you think there will be certain geographic areas that fare better uh, at the end of the day, whether it is because uh, remote work might become more common and perhaps that will see people fleeing cities to places that are much cheaper if they can just re- work remotely. Uh, at the same time, I know uh, where I call home in Los Angeles, uh, sometimes anyway, uh, they're they they're saying they're going to extend this lockdown for three months right now. And, and who even knows if they're going to extend it beyond that? And uh, the conversation seems to have completely changed from from flattening the, the curve to uh, at least the way the mayor of Los Angeles and uh, the governor of California both speak, it, now it's basically become we can't unlock the economy until no one can get the virus ever again. So, which is obviously nothing that something that could never happen. So, uh, it feels like in some areas, maybe, and maybe it's just because the topic has become so politicized. You know, if Trump says to open up, then they have to say not to open up. Uh, but I'm just kind of curious if you see certain geographic areas, whether it's due to politics or just natural effects, we might see from more remote work that uh, fare better and coming back sooner, uh, whereas other areas might might be in a worse off. Position position
1: yeah well um, you uh, you know a little bit more about LA than I do because I, I I guess foolishly tend to think that Angela McCardle is gonna get her away but <laughs> but I know that's naive
0: the support's and, not yeah. as strong as we might we might want to believe but there are, there are at least some fiery activists that are out there you know speaking speaking out about it. it
1: it's the triumph of hope over expense I, I I do I, 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 I will uh, stick my neck out first of all and say mark that I, I believe that uh while the politicians are probably going to try to take the stance that uh, that they want to be conservative and save lives and stick with uh, what they know best, which is suppressing people, that eventually they'll have to succumb sooner or later, pr- pr- probably sooner rather than later, they're going to have to back off, and uh, and even in L.A., uh, they won't get their way. And they they will probably have an out. They will say, well, you know, I'm allowing it under protest. I'm warning it could be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, many, of course, Democratic politicians are holding on to this idea because they are anti-Trump. And I'm in many ways anti-Trump myself. But uh, I do think uh, that the suppression, the lockdown should be lifted. So again, uh, first of all, answering your general question, uh, I do believe that Uh, that, that the lockdown is going to be lifted even in areas uh, where politicians are saying, well, uh, we can't lift it unless we have a vaccine or unless we do something that, that is not likely to happen uh, in, uh, the near term, I think the lockdown will be loosened. But getting to your other question, do you, do you think parties-
0: that uh, just to drop? Do you think that is because just because the, there will be so it will become so much public um, anxiety or just public support for opening up? Because just because people do have to work at some point, uh, that they're not going to be able to resist the the, the public sentiment if they want to even keep their jobs or you know not have. Uh-
1: yeah, right. Uh, exactly. That is the way I feel, and of course that could be. Uh, just me talking, and maybe just you talking, Mark. Because we, we tend to think that other people feel as we do, right. but um, but but clearly it is a matter. Certainly, by the, if if the unemployment insurance supplement doesn't last through uh, August, uh, then there'll be a huge uh, groundswell of protest among unions, in particular workers in general, to get their jobs back. And uh, so, uh, and again, I think that Americans generally are feisty and independent people. And so, uh, again, I think that the pol- the, 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 the tide is, is going to be too great for most politicians to resist. Uh, clearly, Trump is going to be, in other uh, Republicans, well, the Republicans, at least who support Trump, are, are going to be arguing for that as well. So they'll have some allies uh, in government. And uh, so I think that... Uh, there will be, well, of course, it, it will happen. It won't happen right away. It's going to happen over the next few months. But I think that it will happen, uh, by and large, in the economy. But uh, getting back to your point, but there will still be plenty of businesses that will not be able to come back. Uh, and that's why, again, as measured, the recovery is going to be very slow. Uh, so that's my hope uh, and uh, and, and uh, my, my hope that's, uh, that that is translated into a forecast about how people are going to feel. But uh, getting to the other part of your question about the differential effects, um, there's, a, for me, the big unknown. And uh, there, of course, I'm, I'd have to duck your question, is how will New York City come back? Uh, New York City, and of course other places, sporting events uh, The, I mean, again, I actually just getting get, circling back for the moment when you think about all of those people who, who want to go to big uh, sports stadiums to see uh, 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 major events of that kind. Difficult to believe that you can really tell them that that's gone. That the excitement of going to a football game it will never happen again, or won't, or, or that it won't happen in in, in the near future. But uh, but with respect to how you resuscitate uh, New York City, how you allow New York City's cultural events. To happen, uh, I noticed uh, that the announcement was that Broadway is shut down uh, until at least through Labor Day, and maybe uh, further than that. Maybe it will be beyond that. Uh, I believe that something has got to happen. Uh, the, and of course, that's of course maybe the vaguest statement I've made uh, through through this interview. It's it's simply unimaginable that that uh, the excitement of cities, which of course, not everybody craves, but even suburbanites, of course, do want to go to uh, theaters. They want to go to sporting events. Even suburbanites do want to go to restaurants and bars. And uh, so, and again, I didn't mean to diminish suburbanites and even people who live in the country like to do those things as well. And so those things have, have got to come back. We've got to find workarounds and, and it may well be that the only solution will be ultimately to protect the elderly and let the rest of us take our chance with herd immunity. Uh, conquer the virus through the in the way that we've conquered all viruses. The viruses don't go away. We simply develop herd immunity to them. So that may be The solution. But New York City could have problems. There are major office, major businesses that have apparently said that they aren't necessarily going to call back their workers. Uh, The interesting wild card is that approximately like 36% of the workforce who are knowledge workers, who can work off-site, and there's now an inclination on the part of businesses in New York to say that they can permanently do so. So a lot of office space is going to go unused. Now, of course, I don't necessarily object to that. That office space could be converted to housing. But, uh, but then, of course, a, a number of people, knowledge workers then, who no longer have to live in the city, could move out. And there's already a, a bit of a boom in people uh, in, in the purchase of, uh, of, of the rental, rather, of single-family homes. A lot of inventory held in single-family homes and a lot of that inventory now is being rented uh, as people begin to move out of the city my mother my, my wife is a landlord a landlady and i'm a landlord along with her I, I work with her she owns a building six apartments uh, all of those people are knowledge workers they've been paying their rent we have a restaurant in the on the ground floor and we we're charging them only half the usual rent. They're doing takeout. So, of course, we want to work with them. Landlords usually do want to work with tenants. Uh, to uh, If you have a good tenant, you want to keep that tenant and be reasonable in terms of the rent being charged. But uh, I've, And uh, all of those knowledge workers have been paying the rent uh, because they're able to keep their jobs. But uh, again, I see uh, the potential for cities to be less popular. Uh, on the other hand, again, I'm 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 doing on the that that uh, that, that uh, routine that Harry Truman, President Harry Truman, objected to. Give me a one-handed economist. The on the one hand, on the other hand, the the nine eleven debacle, uh, the destruction of the World Trade Center towers, also. Uh, Motivated a lot of uh, uh, prognosticators to predict that cities were going to become less popular. In particular, New York City was going to become less popular, but that prediction turned out to be wrong. I do believe that something will happen. Although, uh, just to acknowledge the force of your question, certainly cities where people congregate with so much of what the city, what, what the location is all about, is is the reverse of social distancing uh, those those regions are at least up for grabs in terms of possibly resorting the way the economy uh, is structured there may be at least some net migration to the outlying areas to the suburbs to the exurbs and to the countryside All
0: right well, I've I've always been a city person uh, myself. Somewhat, I mean, I've lived both in the suburbs and the city. But the city is the you know the, the hustle and bustle, uh, having a lot of restaurants to go to, having a lot of things to do. That's really always been part of something I loved about living in Los Angeles. And uh, but even even I am reconsidering at this point. Uh, just maybe it's maybe it's more of a gut reaction, just to the over to the top response of our, our local government there. But even I'm reconsidering a, somewhat of a different life at this point. So we shall see. Uh, we shall see how things Was play out. Like-
1: you're a lot younger than I, Mark. I'm stuck. I'm sort of another Woody Allen, and the city <laughs> is my home. And uh, I mean, I like to visit. I, I grew up in the suburbs, and I don't, you know, I don't disdain the suburbs. Sure. See, you see, the turn. To, I miss, I miss being able to do charcoal broiling. although I used to do it uh, off of a. Uh, on, on a terrace I, in a co-op I owned uh, in Midtown, uh, in, uh, in up west side rather. Uh, but uh, I, I, uh, I do feel that, uh, in, well, you of course in a way are speaking for a, a certain group of people that clearly uh, you're more typical, people who like the city, like like the urban life. On the other hand, you could see that you might be open to alternatives uh, if uh, given the new circumstances, so maybe that's going to happen. We'll see.
0: We shall see. Uh, either way, Gene, I thank you for for joining us today. Uh, I, I got to say, your your outlook is actually one of the rosier takes I've heard uh, from from libertarians. Uh, no, you, know, you, you do seem at least hopeful that things will return at some point, even though it will be, of course, think a lot of things are going to be very different. But um, you know, that's it's good to have a little hope once in a while, even in, in such a, a terrible time when, when so many things are going in the wrong direction. But I always appreciate respect. Keep, to keep for hope you.
1: alive, Mark. You yeah, know, we that's, have to, that's right? If the, right? if the
0: libertarians aren't going to keep gonna hope alive, keep who's hope going alive. to? i think we're getting some roars now yeah. see i knew i'd get one out of you eventually gene uh thanks so much gene it's, yeah, it's always wish. a pleasure speaking to you before i let you go once again why don't i just give you a second to plug uh, plug what you've got coming up with the soho forum uh, once again and you know keep everybody else updated and uh, let them know where else they can find anything else you're doing i saw you know you got you that article at aier so let them know anywhere else you're, you're publishing things and anything else you'd like to promote plug away
1: well, just uh, we 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 have a a form Facebook club called the Form Inner Circle. We we stole that uh, that uh, phrase from uh, Dave Smith. Right. That is a uh, is a part of the problem, inner circle. But Dave doesn't believe in uh, in, uh, in in uh, IP and in intellectual property, so he's not going to sue us. And uh, so we've got uh, nearly two hundred people in our form Inner Circle. You're invited to join. It just costs ten dollars. And as I said please stay tuned. We're going to probably announce a debate uh, uh, between two credentialed epidemiologists. That's going to be very unique because uh, the epidemiologists who disagree with each other have not gotten a chance to have a sole forum debate or indeed any debate at all. And again, uh, we do have two, we have an excellent Number of debates on that have been preserved on video and audio. My debate on socialism uh, with Professor Richard Wolf has had nearly uh, hundred eight hundred fifty thousand. YouTube views views so if you haven't listened to it or watched it then you want to join the crowd my debate with Vasco Sankara has had uh, on socialism has had 75,000 YouTube views and actually what impresses me is that the debate with Richard wolf has been added has added uh, uh, 250,000 extra views since early March so even though it looks like People are only interested in COVID-19 issues. Apparently, another quarter of a million people wanted to see me debate uh, socialism with Richard Wolf And that's been quite heartening. Uh, but uh, again, uh, go to uh, our Soul Forum website, soulforum.org, uh, to get an announcement about our next uh, online debate. And getting back to your key question, yes, we're going to do the Horton uh, uh, Crystal Debate possibly in New York City, uh, possibly in another city, but certainly I pledge in a physical venue.
0: All right, well, that is something to look forward to, regardless of when it takes place. Uh, that is hope right there. So, Gene, thank you so much once again for coming on. Keep up the great work and keep on roaring or purring, whatever you choose.
1: <laughs> Pleasure, Mark. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks, Gene. all right liberty kitty cats that about does it i hope you enjoyed as i did as i always do my conversation with the great gene epstein really looking forward to someday in person that scott horton bill crystal debate so be sure to keep an eye out for that uh in the meantime boy oh boy what a day what a week we've got coming one more one of the last stops on the way to the libertarian party convention is the final lions of liberty debate tuesday night may 18th co-hosted by myself and John Odermatt. It will feature Judge Jim Gray, Adam Kokesh, Joe Jorgensen... Jacob Hornberger and Vermin Supreme. Those candidates have been determined by a series of criteria including votes from our Patreon supporters. So you gotta get on that Patreon for many reasons. For all the amazing bonus content we do, all the extra live streams we do, uh, our Mufasa call for 25 and up members, our Nittany members who get to produce a show every single month on this podcast feed. There are so many perks to being in the Pride. Uh, But for as little as two bucks a month you can get in there and just join the secret Facebook group. That's all that costs you to get in there and be get access to those votes and uh, have your voice heard. So that is how we came up with this lineup for the final debate. Really looking forward to hosting that. And uh, we're going to do our best to cover the online portion of the Libertarian Party Convention, the presidential and vice presidential selections that are supposed to take place this weekend. Uh, We'll see how it all plays out. There's been a ton of controversy, but we're going to be there, uh, especially for the pride, our Patreon supporters who are always going to get access to that bonus content first. But uh, we're going to definitely cover it at some point over the weekend. We are all delegates as well, my myself, Brian, John, and Howie, at least I know, are all delegates. Uh, So we're we're watching and listening just as we're doing these things. So please do check out the final Lions of Liberty debate. Please uh, go ahead and accept the invite on Facebook. You can go over and see the event on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. And we're really hoping we can give people one more look at these five delegates, these five delegates, these five candidates together making their pitch to the delegates. And we'll see how it all plays out. And we will be here roaring and roaring and roaring along the way and uh, trying to get you the best analysis we can provide here at Lions of Liberty. I also want to remind you, of course, about our Patreon. As I mentioned, you can get so many perks on Patreon, but a great perk we have right now is that 10% of our Patreon earnings are going to help our friends at DonorSea and their battle against coronavirus. You can check out all their projects at DonorSea.com slash coronavirus. We have already funded a couple great projects with our Patreon money, so it's amazing that we're able to make some money for this podcast, pay for what we're doing, pay for our equipment, pay for all the coverage we're able to provide you, like doing these debates, uh, while also helping people around the world who truly need help uh, in some really tough times that they're facing, not just because of the virus, but because of lockdowns, uh, because of supply chain issues. Uh, So we're really helping people around the world for pennies and pennies on the dollar of what it would help to help people here in the United States. So uh, that's one benefit you can have just by joining the Pride, knowing that some of that money is going to help people while it's, of course, helping your favorite libertarian podcast grow and grow grow and grow. And of course, it's not just me here on this podcast. We also have my good friend Brian McWilliams slapping you upside the head with his special brand of comedy, culture, and liberty every single Wednesday on the Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermat wraps things up with his incredibly inspiring and hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. That's why you gotta hit that subscribe button wherever it is you listen. And while you're there, maybe you'll feel like giving us a five-star rating and a great review. That's just up to you. But either way, we're happy to have you here roaring with us each and every week, and we will continue to do so until the darn ends of time, as far as I'm concerned. Until next time, my friends.